Hello, and welcome to episode 91 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan, in this cold weather we've been experiencing recently? (laughs) I know. I'm one year older. Uh, Turned 32 on Christmas Day. Caught up with a bunch of movies over the holidays. Uh, Not much to see official 2024 releases yet, but we're catching up with some of the... uh, uh, awards contenders or wannabes yeah. and uh i want to make one little correction we had the last episode about physical media and uh i got a bunch for christmas slash my birthday but i said that the sony pictures classic 4k blu-ray set had uh bad education it actually is volver that's in the collection wow. that's very nerdy but big uh, difference actually- though I actually watched Bad Education for the first time since we recorded, and that's one of the ones that's only on DVD. Um, basically, all of Almodovar's films before All About My Mother, um, except for Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and Woman Under uh, A Woman on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown, are not on Blu-ray, or I don't even know if they're on DVD uh, in print anymore. Uh, you can stream a lot of them, but yeah, I wish more of his stuff should come out. But oh yeah. Uh, we reviewed uh, his latest release in the fall, <laughs> a Strange Way of Life. Um, so no we are going to release of that, I don't think, because it's just a short also. But... I could imagine maybe once he does a third short film, maybe it'll be released as a triptych on Criterion yes. or something like that. Uh, but today's focus, as Jonathan mentioned, we are covering some of the probably more awards wannabes <laughs> for 2023. I think maybe the first one will be more of a contender, but I could very much see it being one that gets a lot of nominations, but very few wins, uh, maybe no wins at all. Um, we are going to do a series of biopics on figures from the 20th century. And the first one we are going to talk about is Maestro, uh, Bradley Cooper's follow-up to A Star is Born that he keeps reminding us he has been working on for the past six years, uh, starring Bradley Cooper himself as Leonard Bernstein and Carrie Mulligan as Bernstein's wife, Felicia Montalegra. Uh, The movie centers on their relationship and Bernstein's rise in the American music scene from his debut um, conducting the New York Philharmonic basically up until the end of his life. It premiered September 2nd at the Venice Film Festival and was released wide in the U.S. November 22nd with a Netflix release in December. Uh, it has a Metacritic score of 77 and a Rotten Tomato score of 80. I think the big story around Maestro, at least on the internet, has been people being sick of how hard Bradley Cooper tries and how desperate he is to win an Oscar, which, to be honest, I've gotten a little bit tired of um, because I quite like this movie. Jonathan, what was what was your reaction to Maestro? I uh, very much enjoyed it. Do you know how many Oscar nominations Bradley Cooper has? It's crazy. Uh, he, oh, um, American Sniper, Silver Linings Playbook, Star is Born, and directing Star is Born? He has nine Oscar nominations. Wow. 
Because I guess he was producer on Star is Born as well. He probably got, got three or four produced, for that. He got nominations for Best Picture for Nightmare Alley, Joker, A Star is Born, and American Sniper. And then he was nominated for Best Actor three years in a row, wow. uh, supporting actor for one of them. But he was Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, and American Sniper. Uh, but uh, That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of those like, oh, he, you know, because not just acting it, yeah. He wasn't even nominated for Best Director for Star is Born, which was one that people thought was likely. I don't think he's going to get nominated for Best Director for this one. Uh, Best Actor. Although he was nominated for a BAFTA, I believe, for Best Director, which was just released this week. It was Scorsese wasn't nominated or yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos was. Yeah. <laughs> the BAFTAs were kind of shocking, to be honest. Uh, yeah. We don't need to get into that right now, but. No, like uh, Gluey Gladstone not getting nominated. That's crazy. Okay, but yeah. anyway, yeah, I think Maestro is extremely well made on a technical level. It's just an absolute joy to watch. That it's a black and white movie almost for the first forty five minutes. There's a little bit of color at the very beginning, and then basically it's the forty five minutes. Uh, first forty five minutes, it's black and white, and it does a good job of capturing the time period. And it's almost like the film style, the film stock looks reminiscent of the time period it's taking place and i mean like the first uh act of the movie is it's an academy like a, ratio yeah but it feels like a billy wilder like there's a rat-a-tat-tat to the delivery of the dialogue um mm -hmm. and uh there's a shot of carrie mulligan walking up and like the street lamp uh you know sh you know there's like a spotlight on her and it's like just very old school and very sort of film noir movie. lighting yeah and then um yeah, and, and the acting is ex exceptional. I mean, it's it's one of those we talked about. There's performances where you people really disappear and like you forget it's an actor. This one I never really forgot. It was Bradley Cooper, but it's a good performance. If mm -hmm. you know what I mean, like it's like a good movie performance. Um, and I was so swept up watching the movie and very entertained by it that after. Uh, stepping away from it for a bit, you kind of look at it, you know, it's kind of a standard biopic. And I don't really know if there was a reason to even make the movie, but it's a really entertaining one. I don't know that there's any great insight or real reason to have made the movie besides it's about a guy who was struggling with his sexuality and his marriage. Uh, and his professional know, and it, identity to a certain extent, I think is part of it. Yeah, so it's a compelling movie and it's really entertaining and well made and well acted. But it's and and you know, there's plenty of relatively standard biopics that are extremely entertaining and well acted, and it doesn't have to be like you know, not every biopic has to be like Mishima or uh, I'm not there, like you know, radically altering the the, the way that we see this person, yeah. <laughs> yeah or just the the genre itself but yeah so i very much i was very much entertained by the movie even though after being so swept up in it while watching it you kind of look at it and you're like you know it's it's kind of a we've seen this movie before but it's a very good example of that type of movie i thought i mean yes i i the stylistic choices bradley cooper makes i mean he takes a very big swing with this movie um and you can tell that there's a lot of intention basically in every frame and you can tell how much uh, I like the story kind of means to him to, the, to a certain extent, which to me is kind of, I don't know. I don't really know too much about Leonard Bernstein. He obviously seems like a, a big figure in 20th century American 
uh, culture and artistic culture. Um, and maybe sort of part of this is just bringing the public's attention to a figure like Leonard Bernstein, who, you know, I really don't, the most I basically know about him is that he was the the mentor of Lydia Tarr, um, which I think was officially endorsed by his family, which I was proud to see. Um, but so, I, I mean, two movies about conducting in the last few years, I think is kind of interesting, especially big ones. Um, for at me, the, uh, D- at the DGA, uh, they have the podcast where they pair directors together and they had Bradley Cooper interviewed by Todd Field, which was fitting. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that is very fitting. Um, for me, the obvious standout in this movie is Carrie Mulligan, um, who we've seen um probably not as much as i would like to i think the last big high profile movie she was in was promising young woman and i know she's a mother and has i think two or three children so maybe that's impacting her professional life to a certain extent and i know that she uh has a pretty big active stage career as well um but every time i see her in a movie i'm reminded of just what a force of an actress that she is yeah she has a small supporting role in the director Uh, yes, of the promising a woman's director. She wasn't. She said last year. Uh, oh well, yeah, now, she wasn't. Uh, she 20, said yeah, yes, twenty twenty two, which, which was, I think was uh, an underseen movie that I that I quite liked actually. Um, but yeah, I mean the dig. Even you I forgot she was in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, sort of. She's been in movies that I could think of a bit underseen. I mean the dig. She said uh, it looks like she's going to be more stuff in the near future. Um, but by far the standout for me and. This movie makes really extensive use of uh, extended takes and sort of long scenes. Uh, for me, a real highlight uh, was a scene at the Thanksgiving parade where there's a pretty explosive argument between uh, Bradley Cooper's character and Carrie Mulligan's character that I think she just like absolutely dominated that scene. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, the stylistic choices, the starting in black and white and then shifting aspect ratio and color as it goes on, something we've seen before in The Aviator, I think there was another movie that came out recently that did something similar, but I can't remember what it is. Um, well, and uh, we can point out, I don't know if this is the first film to ever do this, but it's executive, pro- well, produced by both Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg, which is a pretty great. And I think uh, Spielberg was originally attached to direct it um, and sort of handed it off to to Bradley Cooper after A Star is Born. Um, as we've been constantly reminded in this media cycle that he's been working on this ever since the Star is Born came out. Um, but there, I think there are some really good scenes. Uh, I think people have sort of been reading a bit too much into Bradley Cooper's personal life, like people saying that he was going to like come out if he won Best Actor. It's like, why, why are we commenting on this person's personal life like this? Like, um, It's like the film In and Out. Did you ever see that movie with Kevin uh-huh. Klein? Yeah. Have you seen that movie? In and out. I thought you were talking about the uh, what's Inside Out. No, I haven't seen In and Out. No, no, it's a comedy where Kevin Kind plays this uh, high school drama teacher in like the Midwest, and one of his former students wins an Oscar and outs him. He says, "My gay high school," and he is an out. He's like married to a woman, and it like throws the town into a whole. Uh, it turns it upside down. It's really funny. Joan Cusack got nominated for best supporting actress. It has Debbie Reynolds playing his mother. Oh wow! Anyway. Frank Oz directed it. It's a 90s comedy. It's funny. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine if something like that happened with, with Bradley Cooper. Um, yeah. Well, okay, this, I mean, is totally, wait, this is totally gossipy, but uh, Hugh Jackman 
uh has divorced the, his wife uh, recently about 25 years and she's like quite a bit older than him and he says he's writing he has a memoir that he's writing that's going to reveal major things and i'm like mm. well you know what <laughs> he's been someone i've been suspicious of for quite some time i mean suspicious maybe is the wrong word um but i've been questioning maybe his sexuality for some time well it connects to the film maestro uh it does <laughs> it does because yes. But I think the sort of thing you were mentioning about it uh, being a kind of showy acting performance, I think, works very well with the sort of theme of the movie, which is I think he even says it at one point, uh, the Leonard Bernstein character, that kind of his whole life is a performance um, because he doesn't necessarily. Well, as an American conductor, you're sort of seen as, you know, you're not German or Italian or French or something like that. The Europeans sort of held yeah, the the right to be a great conductor for a long time. And one of the major things that's keep being emphasized to him is that if he really wants to be a great conductor, he has to sort of only focus on that. But he's sort of torn between conducting and writing music and teaching music. Um, so I think the sort of showy performative aspect of Bradley Cooper's performance works very well to the, the sort of message and theme that the movie is working with. Um, but yes, the standout very much is Carrie Mulligan, who is this sort of um, wife who has her own professional interests, but in some ways sort of subsumes her own interests to sort of support this obvious conflicted genius and this family that they're raising, raising together. Um, and there was a great scene with her having lunch or something like that with uh, Leonard Bernstein's sister, where she just talks about how she kind of knowingly uh, hoodwinked herself into believing that she could be sort of the thing to fix all these problems but um, and that in a lot of ways it's not really her husband's fault for being philandering and um, not necessarily honest and all these sorts of things because she was sort of willingly deceiving herself uh, which I found very very moving and especially her it's an extended take and a close up basically just on her face and uh, with a lesser actress I think it might have been sort of hokey or um not landed quite as well, but uh, I'm constantly reminded of just how incredible she is as an actress. And I think she would be very, very deserving of getting, uh, do you think it would be best actress or best supporting actress that she would be up for? They're putting her for best actress. Cause it really is a two hander, you know, even though it's, yeah. you know, a biopic it's the film is very much about their relationship and their marriage. Yes. Um, and almost I've, I've, to the, well, I've, I've seen like people, sorry. but I've seen it's people all, saying that, it's sort of like a hollow marriage that it's almost like a, a, like a beard sort of thing where he's married to her to sort of hide his, his homosexuality. But I didn't really get the sense of that at all. It seemed very sort of genuine and um, like she knows what she's getting into and that he very much loves her. So I thought that read of it that I've seen some people have was maybe a bit, um, I don't know. I wouldn't say like false or anything like that, but maybe not giving enough, grace or, or sort of sympathy to, to them as a couple yeah exactly yeah i mean i heard her talking in an interview about it's like yes she you know basically knew about his sexuality but what really hurt her later in life wasn't the him having affairs but it was the fact that like there's a scene where uh he grabs the other person's hand and not hers it's like yes. the fact that she's not his confidant like not not a sexual or even necessarily romantic thing but just that she's not she he does not uh stay really the partner of her of their life and that in the way that her. she sees him yeah 
that's right. that was a great scene because I think that also happens in like one take where it goes from the hand then moves to her. Um, it's one thing. I mean, I'm, I'd be really interested in seeing Bradley Cooper direct a movie that he doesn't star in because um, I think he is an obviously gifted director. And I've heard um, some. Yeah, he's he's participated in like basically every director's roundtable and stuff like that. You can tell he's campaigning very hard as a director. Um, and in some ways, he seems to think that acting makes the directing almost easier in some ways um, because he's sort of constantly in it. But I would like to see him, you know, you don't need to spend six years on every movie you make. <laughs> like, I'd be interested in him directing a movie that someone else wrote and someone else stars and just sort of maybe get a better perspective on who he is really as a director. But if he just wants to continue, you know, spending six years on each project and sort of popping up in movies like Licorice Pizza. Like, I think that's a fine direction for him to go for the rest of his career. Well, and I mean, like, Robert Redford is not in some of the movies he directed. Ordinary People, yeah. River Runs Through Show. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, there's a history at the Oscars of, you know, people winning for film, you know, actors winning Best Director, like Mel Gibson for Braveheart and Kevin Costner, who's 69 today. Uh, mm -hmm. dances with wolves and uh you know and then there's times where they're snubbed like ben affleck doesn't get nominated for argo and yeah it wants the best picture yes but uh you know but it's it, it, i mean also i think some people may be less interested in maestro because it feels like in the last 10 15 years not that it hasn't always been true but it seems like there's all these movies with like hollywood making movies about artists like they're patting themselves on their back like oh bird art is so important Argo, yeah and, and the artists are like oh look how great we are how important we are uh but you know i, I enjoyed the movie it's, but that that's sort of like something people bring to the movie that's almost sort of unfair because i mean you need to sort of judge a movie on its own merits to, to a certain extent and um just the, all the sort of talk around this i've i've found exhausting to a certain extent all the the bradley cooper hating and i don't think there's really any reason to hate him i mean obviously he takes himself very seriously and he wants an oscar but that's not the worst thing a person could do <laughs> yeah um, i mean he'll probably get like two or three nominations possibly for this you know best uh best picture best probably picture best uh actor at least <laughs> and then like so he'll get double digit he'll go up to 11 nominations he still won't win yeah but, exactly <laughs> i'm sure he'll get but, one eventually i know but well it's like he's produced movies he's not in like joker but yeah. uh you know it'd be cool to see him you know and i mean it's like i don't feel too bad for him because he's like one of the most handsome persons on the yeah he's obviously and... incredibly successful and probably doing pretty well and i mean he's yeah. obviously really loves movies i think that's i think that's pretty cool he um, shot it on film and it's like very cinema literate, not in that it's like referencing movies specifically, but just the style of the movie. You can tell yeah. he's like a fan of cinema. So, yeah, I, I guess we both like this. I maybe liked it slightly more than you. I know that I mean, it's like not top 10 consideration for me, but I wouldn't. I yeah, I wouldn't say either, but I was kind of surprised how much I liked it when I left the theater. I was like, wow, that was that was really good. <laughs> yeah. um, especially there's a really standout scene that uh, they have some clips on the internet of him conducting at um, Ely Cathedral, a performance of Gustav Mahler. Are you a big Mahler guy, Jonathan? No, I don't <laughs> listen to music like that. Not that I don't like it, but I love I'm a big Mahler guy. So I very much appreciated that. Apparently Bradley Cooper had not listened to any Gustav Mahler before. 
uh, it's in that's what the big thing in Tar. She's doing a Mahler symphony. Remember, she's doing yeah. the last one that hasn't been recorded yet. Um, so we are going to take a very short break, and we will be back with two other sprawling biopics of massive titans of not the 20th century because Napoleon was quite some some time before that. I think I misspoke in our intro. <laughs> I briefly forgot Napoleon uh, is not necessarily in keeping with that theme. Uh, but we will be back in just a bit to talk about uh, two other movies. Hello. We are back from our very short break to talk about another. Charging ahead. <laughs> Charging ahead, yes. Um, to talk about a sprawling biopic released by Apple. Uh, it is Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott, who is on an absolute tear of basically a movie a year at these days. He's like working at a Woody Allen type, right? Um, 86 years old turned uh, the month old. after the film came out. Just wrapped filming on Gladiator 2. Uh yeah. Previously directed Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, among many, many others, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon and Vanessa Kirby as his wife, Josephine. Uh, it is a sprawling biopic tracing the rise and fall of Napoleon Bonaparte in his relationship with his wife, Josephine. Uh, it premiered November 14th in Paris. It was released wide in the U.S. November 22nd and will eventually be streaming on Apple TV. A Metacritic score of 64 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 58. Jonathan, how much did you know about the life of Napoleon for seeing this movie? Uh, about as much as uh, not, uh, you know, very short as he was. <laughs> yeah, was as brief as the man himself. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, I, I am a massive, massive Napoleon fan. I don't know what this says about me or the type of, of persons that I value, but if there was any historical figure I would like to have a meal with, it would be Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, so as someone who very much buys into the myth of Napoleon as all-time genius and great person, <laughs> I thought this was an extremely interesting take on Napoleon. In some ways, it sort of treats him as a childish buffoon. Uh, and I was in many ways worried that the scope of the film was too big because he did so much stuff throughout his life. And it essentially covers uh, from his rise until his death, basically, um, in two and a half hours. But I was actually incredibly refreshed by the attitude that this biopic took, um, where it wasn't really trying to tell you everything you need to know about Napoleon. It actually sort of reveled and giving you very little about him and just sort of creating the impression of him as like a childish, almost slightly idiotic, very lucky person. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a radical approach to the biopic. Uh, Jonathan, what were your perspectives on Napoleon? I thought it was pretty much a snooze. It's just long and boring. And I feel like no one involved in the film really had a reason for making it other than, hey, let's get Ridley Scott to do a biopic of Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, well, Phoenix is like literally falling asleep during the movie multiple times. It's an interesting just, performance. <laughs> no, it's not. It's he's fall, it's like he's doing he's sleepwalking through the performance. He's doing nothing interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, he's one of the best actors of his generation. I mean, he's, you know, the master and you were never really here. I mean, I, you know, the we're just talking about, you know, Maestro being a fairly standard biopic. I mean, Walk the Line is another standard biopic, but he's very, With very a great good performance. performance. Yeah, I watched yeah. that over the break. 
Yeah, so I I just feel like nobody at the end of the day, like the movie doesn't really reveal that much. Like there's no insight into the man. And I feel like, uh, you know, we're like a movie like Amadeus is not really, it's it's a film about jealousy. Like it, it's a film about something more than just telling the story of this, you know, of the man. And I feel like Napoleon is just a Napoleon biopic and nobody really involved seems to have had like a deep reason to actually make the movie and i it's like it, it it's funny because you know ridley scott a few days after this film premiered turned 86 and it's like it's such uh, such a scale to it and there's are obviously so much artistry that's going into it but also it's like he could do this thing in his sleep it just feels so like yeah. by the numbers and it's just like there's this kind of like you you admire like the oh my gosh like how many horses and extras there are but also there's just a lot of battle scenes where they just kind of get repetitive and it feels like you're just watching like there it has too much of a kind of cgi sheen to it whereas like you watch something like barry linden or ron by curse like, yeah well i mean but just like those old school ones where they really felt like you know there were really people sitting like standing and moving in a field and this it just feels like you're watching something that's been like digitally constructed like pieced together with cgi you know not that there wasn't you know i'm sure people actually are on a field and extras and horses but there's just something to the way it looks that just makes it look all kind of like scrubbed clean of dirt it, like it doesn't feel like gritty enough i mean there is actually quite it's a, extremely it's a, violent yeah yeah but there's still there's just like this kind of i don't want to say video game quality but just no I, like, I think it is just, kind of video gamey yeah it just it and it just it and it's like like i think that it might have been better it's like on one hand it needs to be like a big epic film but also it's like the, the the four hour streaming series might have more complexity to it like and have a reason and i just feel like this goes like boop 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 and it goes through all these parts in his life i don't know it's like one of the big things is that she's disappointed with walking phoenix because he's just like he just is like moping around in the film and it's like almost like you said a comedy performance because he's just like kind of ridiculous it's like i think on it's a spectrum almost <laughs> But it's but the movie doesn't give him like really an insight. It's like he just like does this weird. I mean, it reminds me of like if this movie had been made in 1957, it would have starred Marlon Brando. I'm sure you know yes. it's, it's probably too tall to play him. But I mean, it's you did just play like, him in a, in a movie about Napoleon from the 50s that I've seen because I've seen every movie ever made about Napoleon. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I I just yeah, I was just kind of bored by this movie, and I it's like Ridley Scott. It's like. He's made some of the greatest films of all time, but like half of his movies kind of suck. I'm not saying this movie is like really bad. It's just like, it's like exactly the movie you expect it to be. But I was just kind of like, uh, it's just not that good. It's like, it's certainly like, it's not going to get nominated. I don't think in any no, category. Probably not. No. And it's it doesn't a, deserve to be. No, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it, in some ways it, it was a massive, massive disappointment. Um, but I think... I think for like you are someone who really doesn't know anything about Napoleon, I can very much understanding your reaction to it. But as someone who like has read a lot of books about him and, and watched every movie ever made about him, everyone sort of treats him like he is this like sort of untouchable genius who in some ways sort of is not a human being. Um, and, you know, is like sort of if the sort of great man perspective of history has been very much 
not devalued, but also in a lot of ways sort of proven to be incorrect in recent years that uh, in a lot of cases where we previously would have seen one person as sort of progressing society or making changes that impact society in the future are actually kind of just agents of changes that were going to happen anyway. Um, but for a lot of people, Napoleon is kind of the exception to that, that he is kind of someone who created the future of Europe in many ways. Like nationalism is almost like an idea invented by Napoleon in a lot of ways. Like Italy and Germany, as we know them today, are very much influenced by the way that Napoleon organized those. I'm getting very nerdy history person here. But as sort of like someone who's very interested in the historiography and the way that Napoleon is seen through historians, seeing him sort of depicted as like an idiot who basically locked into everything that he ever got was incredibly refreshing for me to see. Um, so maybe the less you know about Napoleon, the sort of more standard it seems, but to someone who invests a lot of time into learning a lot about him, it seems incredibly radical. And I think the sort of radical nature of the movie is very much reflected by the extremely negative reaction it got in France. Did you follow that? Well, I, I just, I mean, I one thing I enjoy about Ridley Scott is he's in that like Paul Schrader like era where he's like he gives zero fucks. He's yeah. like he, he basically said get a life. To yeah, people were like Literally. this isn't historically accurate, and he's like I don't really care. No, that that doesn't bother me at all. It's just, I mean, it's funny that you you feel like this is a radical biopic. Like I feel like it's you feel so, like it's extremely standard. Yeah, yeah, like maybe like the way it's presenting him is like very alternative to way he's been presented in books and other films and media but the film itself is just so kind of by the numbers i feel like yeah and it just that's yeah. just it's just like was like i just was really bored by like it i mean there's like a sweep to it that's impressive but there's just like Oh, we're gonna. See. It, it's like two another battle. Oh, another battle. Oh. Yeah. Well, that that's my mom's main criticism. It's like the just all these interchangeable battles. that just like you're like, wait, where are we even fighting now? And, and yeah, it just uh, it doesn't really know, even I, take time to explain what's happening or no. like who, who he's fighting. So it's like I, it almost so requires much... knowledge on the part of the audience to even understand what's going on. I mean, what a great biopic can do, like uh, Moneyball or the Social Network, is you can have people talking about subject matter that you don't really understand, but it's so well written and the characters are so well drawn that even if you couldn't, after the movie, explain it, you understand their enthusiasm and, like, you in the context of the movie, like, you get what's going on enough. And this movie, it's like, there's just a lot of it where, you know, you're just kind of hopping around. Not that it's like, you know radically like out of order but it's just it's just like hopping around it's like okay we're in this battle and like what's it's a battle going? in the snow now oh it's a battle i know the i mean there is cool stuff with the horses and like you really see oh my gosh that horse just got like blown yes. up and yeah. you don't see that too much in older movies when like you know that's one of the good things about cgi is like you're not actually like you know if you go back and look at like andre rubelov like yes. you just like fucking kill a horse yeah and you're movie. watching that and you're like oh i kind of feel a little nasty watching this because that horse is about yeah. to get put down <laughs> yeah I, I mean part of it too is that like you watch a movie like i don't know you feel like you know like barry linden is like one of the greatest films ever made. yes yes and like that movie is about a guy who's kind of stumbling through history and is kind of an idiot and like rest in peace ryan o'neill and he's kind of perfectly cast because 
he's right he's kind of just a handsome guy who doesn't have much going on i know and it's like i almost feel like napoleon is like that but it's like barry Lyndon is actually like a stealth comedy yes and i feel like napoleon has this like weirdness around the edges and like what joaquin phoenix is doing but he's like stuck in this just like so perfunctory or whatever that word is it's like it's just so like by the numbers biopic and I mean, I do think that Vanessa Kirby, we haven't mentioned her yet. She's quite good in the movie. Uh, and like the best scenes, the ones that are most intriguing are like the quiet, weird. It's almost like she's cuckolding him or something like there's just yes. weird sexual stuff going on. In well, that's relationship. I mean, that was what was really going on in the relationship. That I mean, that's it's one of those things where I think the more you know about the way he's traditionally been presented, the sort of more interesting this movie seems. Um, it's like, because... you know, how Raging Bull is basically all about like, you know, you know, there's, there's like obsessive his sort of weird sexual hangups <laughs> i know it's like his and he just like his inability to like you know like you talk to another man i mean it's not the same thing but it's just it's like similar yeah where there's sort it, of child men who are in these positions where they get to exert violence basically and that just right. sort of shows how immature they really are because their whole sort of world is centered around violence which is not the way people are supposed to behave in the world unless you are the emperor of france and you're supposed to kill people basically um yeah. as someone who is a big fan of napoleon a big fan of napoleon what a strange thing to say but i but i am <laughs> the battle scenes really did not highlight how epic and extraordinary the battle scenes were like i'm sure you remember the one on the ice which is sort of like yeah. the centerpiece of the of the middle is kind of like the one battle that is very very fit it's the Arc de Triomphe was built to to court to celebrate this victory, Austerlitz, which was in 1805 over the Kingdom of Russia and the Kingdom of Austria. And it was, you know, fought with hundreds of thousands of people. I think like the French army was 110,000 and the combined Austrian and Russian forces were like 200,000. And, uh, you know, you're going to French... get a ticket for being a nerd. <laughs> you're listing numbers. I love this, Jonathan. I love this shit. Yeah. I mean, Napoleon is like my favorite thing in the world. And, and they, they show this. It's it's so underwhelming, and they they highlight something. the The thing they present, like to string the ice, is actually something that did not happen. At least, like the way they presented the movie, it was kind of an accident that this happened. And they sort of show it all, like he's this genius who's, you know, drew them into this fake thing, and they put him on the ice. So that was one part I was really disappointed by was was the Battle of Austerlitz because um, if you've ever seen Sergei Bondarchuk's Born Peace, have you seen that? Um, no. Okay, it's brilliant, brilliant movie that's sort of tangentially related to Napoleon, but uh, there's an incredible depiction of the Battle of Austerlitz from the Russian perspective of that. And I guess you also haven't seen Sergei Bondarchuk's Waterloo from 1970. No, oh, well, I mean, the one thing we have mentioned too is that, and it's hard to see in America, there's the silent Abel Gantz Napoleon. Yes, which is like which... the holy grail of my life to see that in like a theater with a live orchestra. <laughs> With a triptych with the three screens yes, in one part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's... I've heard, don't quote me on this, but I've heard from a friend of mine that basically the reason that it's like not been able to be viewed in America for decades is because of Francis Ford Coppola. Yes, his dad like, with the score that he wrote. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can get a Blu-ray of it in the UK. Uh, yeah. It's like four hours long or something. But uh, I think it's like seven. It's like something crazy. But yeah. also it seems like exhibiting it is is quite difficult because like you said, it's like a triptych thing. I think you're supposed to have three projectors running simultaneously. 
Um, but that one is very like sort of hagiographic and, and depicts Napoleon as this sort of supreme genius and very much like Maestro. It's one that was directed by the, the lead actor, Abel Gantz. Um, uh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm almost positive. You can look it up and I will, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, but I'm almost sure of that. Um, but I mean, Sergei Bondarchuk also stars as uh, Pierre. And no, it's not starring Evo Cans. Whatever. It's... <laughs> it's a guy with a very big nose. I know that much. Yes. Um, so yeah, you could I don't get everything right, but I will admit what I'm He wrong. is in it. He is in it at playing uh Louis Saint Just or how you say it. Saint Jus. Yeah. It was the the angel of death. Uh okay. So he is yeah. so he is in the movie. He just doesn't star as Napoleon. Um so I very much understand uh I mean you're your criticisms. I mean, it's reflected by the low Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes score. I think most people who would see this probably wouldn't like it. Like to be honest, like I, I wouldn't be shocked if if the majority of audience members gave this. I mean, looking at it on Google, um, I think it's got like a one point seven audience score <laughs> on Google. It's like one of the lowest scores I've ever seen. Uh, two point two. Sorry, the majority of the ratings are a one, so, second highest or two. So you seemed like you really liked it, but you also were disappointed. Understand? Yes, I, I, I mean, it's just I, I can't express to you just how sort of radical the approach of depicting Napoleon this way really is to someone who who follows the historiography and, um, and it really upset the French, like really, like there were like serious articles about like Ridley Scott is defaming our our national heritage and stuff like that because. <clears throat> You know, I mean, as for as much as Napoleon could be depicted as like a proto Hitler and like a you know a fascist and a dictator, the French really do take a lot of pride in him because, um, I mean, they still use the law code that he established. I mean, he's the person who established universal uh, male suffrage, at least in France, and established all these public schools and stuff like that. So for for as much as killing and all this sort of awful stuff he did, he also did do some very revolutionary. Um, social programs that were taken up by a lot of 20th century governments and stuff like that, which was very unusual at that time because, um, but one thing it does really get across is sort of the motivating factor of Napoleon. I said that like I was from Philadelphia, motivating, um, is that he really wanted to be taken seriously by the other monarchs of Europe. And I think they got that across very well in his scenes with the czar of Russia and the scenes he has with English, which was my favorite line reading of the whole year. He says, you're, thank you so great because you have votes. I just cracked up when I saw that. Um, so yeah, I I think I've, I maybe have been a little more effusive in this criticism than my real reaction is because yours is so negative and I'm really trying hard to, to sell it as someone who's a, a big Napoleon fan. But I, you're, all of your criticisms are extremely valid and in a lot of ways, I feel the same way about it, but um, I'm just so appreciative to see a movie about Napoleon that whatever was going to happen with it, I would I would have really liked it. Um, and it was a really strange Joaquin Phoenix performance. Like, I can sort of understand your, you sort of saying he's kind of sleepwalking through it and, and not really giving a performance at all. I thought it was very strange that he doesn't use an accent and everyone else's. Um, and he kind of just uses his normal voice. Um, so yeah. in some ways, I, saw, I think he was kind of wasted in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like people, you know, he was in Gladiator, one of his early performances. Uh, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him as an actor, but I just thought it was kind of, I mean, it's the weirdest, you know, 
doing Bo is Afraid and Napoleon in the same year. Right. <laughs> yeah, having those both come out in the same year, you know. Uh but as long, it's crazy you know, it's crazy a movie about the whole life of Napoleon Bonaparte was about 20 minutes shorter than Bo's afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, but it's like Bo is afraid for its faults and you know inconsistencies. Like that's like a radical, like weird, challenging movie. And Napoleon is like, like you said, okay, you feel like it depicts him in an intriguing way that's very different. But the film itself I just felt was so kind of like, yeah, this is gonna be this movie. Yeah. I mean, and being this movie can be like I remember when I saw Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, I said it's exactly the movie you think it's gonna be, but it's extremely good. Yeah. Uh, but Napoleon, I just felt was like, yeah, it's really Scott's Napoleon. Like, I wasn't really looking forward to it that much. I was like, you know, I mean, I have weird, like, I actually really like The Counselor. Have you ever seen The Counselor? Yes, that is a movie I really like, except for like three scenes that I really hate. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, but, but like, I kind of like when Ridley Scott will kind of do. Do weird like, stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. He, he, he can, you know, he can, do, he can be a little weird. So, you know, but, and I like the fact that, I mean, I love that, did you ever see the interview clip where he was promoting The Last Duel and uh, the journalist was saying that, you know, this film is a little more realistic uh, than films like Robin Hood. And he went, uh, uh, fuck you. Sorry, I just want to say, uh, fuck you. <laughs> I just love that he's like that. But, it uh, is, you yeah. are sort of right about how it looks. It, I mean, it looks very similar to All the Money in the World and House of Gucci, how they both look. I don't know if it's like the type of digital photography he's using, but it, it does have a sort of strange um sort of final product his i think it's the last so duel, hollow yeah i think the last duel is kind of the exception yeah um, that's a bit that's a better movie than napoleon it is i mean i'm a last duel defender i love the last duel i think the final half hour the last duel is like it rips in a way that a lot of historical movies do not so um i was a little sad how underseen that was um and i think that was also a pretty big box office bomb um but and also felt like house of gucci was like it's like he's making this like another like two hour and 40 minute movie but the problem with house of gucci is like it should have been a dark comedy and he played it like this serious like greek tragedy i'm like no it's like you have jared leto like i don't think he's even good in it but like if he had been in the like they had the done right, it the movie. right movie yeah. I know, because it's like you have Pacino, and it's like it's like you have Lady Gaga. Like if they had, like I so wish they had done House of Gucci. Like if he had like realized, oh, this should have been a, like a dark, campy comedy. Yeah, because he just plays it like it's this like Greek tragedy. Like, it's not that. It's like you know. But anyway, yeah. So I like good I wish transition, Napoleon... House of Gucci, yeah. to oh yes, a, another Italian uh, business tycoon. Um, Adam the best Driver. of these three films the best of these three films i agree um yeah. and it seems like it's gonna have a pretty massive box office disappointment uh but the movie is ferrari directed by michael mann uh directed thief last of the mohicans heat among many others his last movie was black hat uh starring adam driver penelope cruz and shailene woodley uh, it is set in 1957 as Enzo Ferrari is facing a crisis in his professional as well as his personal life. It premiered August 31st at the Venice Film Festival, was released in the U.S. December 25th. And look at this identical Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes score of 72. How about that? Uh, so do you think this is the best of the three? Jonathan, I'll let you start talking about Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, I, I very much enjoyed Maestro, but I think one of the things, and I'm not saying this 
makes inherently a biopic better, but it does the Steve Jobs thing, uh, the Danny Boyle written by Aaron Sorkin film, is that it really tells a person's life by focusing on a very specific amount of time. And I think yes. that Ferrari does pack a lot of emotional uh, content and narrative into just focusing it on the short amount of time. And it's like you reference what has happened in the past and it and you feel the present you know the weight of the things that had happened in the past in the present and kind of I like think, lincoln's approach to the biopic like you mentioned yes and i and to connect you know me making my nerdy correction i think this is probably the best penelope cruz has been ever outside of a pedro Almodovar film like she yeah. really should be in the best supporting actress conversation and she has gotten some nominations but uh i think she's just terrific and i love the scene where, where she and uh enzo ferrari are arguing with each other about their child and it's yes. just like it's it's both like really well acted and dramatic but it's also like like good like i'm giving a performance and yelling scene like yes. it's both like like believable and grounded but it's also like you know, great actors, you know, yelling. There's a line reading Adam Driver has in that scene where he goes, the father deluded himself. And I was just like, yes, like, this yeah. is so good. <laughs> yeah, there's certain, I, I love going on YouTube and watching um, one of, I think maybe one of, well, one of my very favorite Michael Mann films is The Insider. I like yeah. the part where Pacino goes, the cat totally out of the bag you know it just i love it like i could watch that well, that's like him in the heat where he goes and she's got a great <laughs> yeah 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 i just uh i mean in michael mann I'm, I'm a big fan of his and i i think that the movie you know is except he's been, he's been wanting well to made. make this for a long time right like i think the yeah. script has been around since the 90s or something like that yeah i've heard a podcast i really enjoy um the episodes especially of the blank check podcast where they take a director and they go through their whole filmography each episode and they did uh one of my favorite guests uh frequent guest is alex ross perry right mm -hmm. director of films like listen up philip and queen of earth anyway he was on an episode uh on the michael mann series and he said that one of the reasons that um a lot of michael mann's movies have both underperformed at the box office and with uh Awards sometimes oh, yeah well they usually get fairly good reviews but like some like he's only been nominated for best director once i think was that for the insider the insider yeah like he didn't get any nominations that's crazy uh, that I he know. didn't get nominated uh, for heat or last of the mohicans or... yeah and he didn't get any nominations uh but uh but but the thing about michael mann is that uh altros perry argued is that his movies uh like not like he didn't feel like this was a criticism but he feels like the reason that they kind of fail with certain audiences and box office and sometimes with the awards is that they're kind of genre movies that are like cop and robbers movies or there's like a car movie it's like car racing and romance like movie last of the mohicans yeah they're like these genre movies but they're also kind of art house and like aesthetically like really you know interesting like he really is like one of the big auteurs like he's very much like you watch his movies like this is a michael mann film and oh, yeah. so i think that sometimes people that want just like a standard like crime or action movie genre movie or a race car movie in this yeah, case they think it's yeah they think it's too arty and they think it'll be like that... ford versus ferrari 
Right. And like people that want like an arty movie think it's too like, oh, it's like a, just a crime cop and robbers movie or a racing mm-hmm. movie. But yeah, I mean, I it, I just found this movie really entertaining and I don't want to give it away. I mean, it's like, this, you know, the Titanic sinks, but it has one of the greatest car crashes in film history. That's oh, really my God. Shocking. That was, yes, one of the most shocking. I didn't know it was coming. I didn't know. Oh, I mean, I, you have a sense, even if you don't know the that history. Something awful is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really uh, uh it would be horrible to say beautifully staged but it's like really well done yes like especially the immediate build-up where you're getting this sort of sense of tunnel vision and like oh my god something really bad's gonna happen but there is a sort of yeah. sense of dread hanging over the whole thing and it's very concerned with death i mean uh it starts off or it doesn't start off but it's very close to the beginning he he like visits his son's grave and spends a lot of time focusing on this this sense of loss he has um, that happened in the very recent past, I think, for the setting of the movie. I think it's set in 57. I think his son died in 56. Um, so you can very much read it as sort of one of these late stage auteur movies like The Irishman for Scorsese, um, where this sort of sense of death is very much in the not even like subtext, like it is the text, like this sort of impending mortality and and stuff like that that I found I found really interesting. Um and it seems like he's he's found a, a good collaborator with Adam Driver. I think uh, the latest reports is it seems like he's going to make Heat 2, which is almost shocking to me considering how much this is going to be a failure at the box office that a studio is going to like invest a lot of movie, a lot of money into another Michael Mann movie. But from what I've seen, it seems like he's going to cast Adam Driver in the um, Neil McCulley part, the part that was played by Robert De Niro in Heat 1. Um, so it seems like he's interested in working with him in the future. Um, I thought Adam Driver was was great in this. I just have to add, I I had a friend who went to a screening, an anniversary screening of Heat at the Tribeca Film Festival, and this made press because Pacino was making it, he was joking, I mean, not like being in a side way, but the interviewer was asking, you know, you know, it's kind of a, a, an obnoxious question, like, you know, there's a prequel coming out, who's who, who would you like to play you in the movie? And Pacino goes, Timothy Chalamet. His answer, and he was kind of joking, but you know, I I just was funny hearing him go Timothy Chalamet, and of course De Niro was like, oh, I don't know, he's like one answer, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm totally there for Heat too. Did you read uh, the book? No, I have it on my. I have it as well, but I haven't read it. I read like the first chapter, and I was like, I don't think I'm gonna read this, but maybe maybe I should because I've heard it's really good. Um, Well, I mean, I co-wrote it. Yeah, I think that. yeah, it's like why aren't people going to see Ferrari? Like it's like two. Well, I think actors. I think also that that the sort of crash scene has it. It's not like it's gone viral. It's not like everyone knows about it. But I think people who are interested in seeing it have heard that there's this extremely upsetting scene about three fourths of the way. Did you see this movie? Was it like a pretty full theater or was it just you? And well, I mean, I saw it on the twenty sixth, the day after it came out, and it was like. I don't know, there was like 10 other people in the theater. Okay, so. it was like, I was in a small theater, but it was full. Like, every seat was occupied. And when that scene happened, people were like gasping and like talking yeah. to the person they came with. Like, did that really just happen? Like, did yeah. we really just see this? Um, so I, I hope it doesn't put off people from seeing it because it is really shocking and upsetting. But it's also it's like, brief, that's though. what movies are kind of, it's brief, yeah. yeah. But the aftermath of it is something you really need to sit with. But you know, I think we're both proponents of movies shouldn't necessarily always make people feel comfortable. Yeah. And seeing shocking it's, stuff, it's not like it's good for you, but... Um, if you cut out, like, 
two and a half minutes of this movie, it would be a PG movie, probably not even PG-13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, do, do you agree with me that Penelope Cruz is like... Oh, she's unbelievable. Movie? Yes. Yeah. And it's it's such a great role for her, I guess, as she's sort of entering. Um, you know, it's like actresses in Hollywood. You're like, you know, the, the sex appeal sort of starlet and suddenly you're the grandma. And as she's entering her grandma phase, I'd be more interested well, in her. That's, like, that's, that's mean to say that she's not that old. And also, I mean, I'm totally gay, but she's still very attractive. She is. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's not like, you know, women in their 50s can't be. But I mean, that is sort of how it works for, for women in Hollywood. Um, and, I have you to know, point it's... out, I, oh, this is really random. I do think it's funny that he made a Ferrari movie starring adam driver and penelope cruz Cruz, yeah. yes yeah there was a at the venice film festival they had the name tags it said a driver a oh that's driver. great yeah, i didn't even yeah. think about that um because yes. we do get a bit of him driving at the very beginning um yeah I did they do something I, with his ears in this movie because they don't look I'm as big sure. i know one <laughs> thing that i um uh saw on twitter that was x i saw that was funny it was like if for as obsessive uh, with details Michael Mann is, it's like the first few minutes of the movie, it's like he ripped off a, like a YouTube video and like has it in the wrong aspect ratio. And it's like really weird. Like it looks kind of wonky, but the rest of the movie, like I loved, I mean, I'm not at all, like I can barely like open the hood of my car. Like I know nothing yeah, about exactly, cars, yeah. but I love the like, uh, as someone who's not a car person, the racing scenes are really gripping and and just the- Well, even just like- cars. Even just the practice scenes, like what I thought was one of the standout scenes of the movie is like all the Italian guys and Modena are at like mass at the cathedral. And when they hear like a gun go off to like signal the start of like, a you know, a test track performance, they start looking at their watches and time it. And I was like, wow, this is like excellently edited. And I hadn't seen like a scene like that. Um, oh, I did like a lot say, of movies. I do have to say that. um there was this like big group of people that were at the movie theater when I saw it. And like, there's a part where like a man runs into a bedroom and like you see his bare backside and they were like giggling. And like, they left after like 45 minutes. I'm really glad they weren't in the theater when the wreck scene happened. Oh yeah. They would have been like, Oh my God. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. They would have been obnoxious about it, but uh, that's crazy. Uh, Yeah. I was like, Oh, you see an ass. Like, Oh, that's so funny. We've started to see, I think uh, general behavior in movie theaters go into a decline recently in a way that I'm not extremely oh. happy with. One of our classmates at NYU says, like, I really don't go to the movie theater that much anymore. Cause like just because audience last, members, the last mini number. And it's not always young people. Like he went to see the holdovers and he said there was like this older uh, people and they were just like chit chatting, like consistently throughout the movie. It's like, shut up. Like you yeah. like, but anyway, but I don't know why people aren't seeing Ferrari. I mean, it got fairly good reviews and it, yeah. you know, has two great actors. And to me, it's like Michael Mann has a new film. You go see a new Michael Mann movie. How do you not, you know? One thing I was thinking about when I was seeing it is like, why does this cost $95 million? Like, I mean, and who am I to say? I'm sure Michael Mann knows budgeting and, and stuff like that better than I do. And I'm sure there's a reason why it costs that much, but that's a really high mark to clear. Um, yeah period pieces cost more you have two big movie stars yeah and you know but still it does seem a little bit it's just that's like so ambitious like if this was made for 50 like it might return a profit 95 is crazy um, yeah, I remember but, Steven Soderbergh was talking, and this is a very different movie, but he was talking about how like the movie Grown Ups cost $80 million to make. And he's like, I literally don't know 
how it costs that much money to make that movie. Yeah, they just you probably could use like one digital camera and it would look fine. And, and it looks like shit, you know. That's, yeah, exactly. You know, it, Ferrari looks really good. It has, you know, it's just like really. It, there's his. You can feel like it, Michael Mann's movies are tactile. Like yes, you can. There's just like a real, you know. And also, um, it's when cool all the people seeing... cast as drivers look perfect. Like Jack oh, O'Connell yeah. and Patrick Dempsey and the guy Gabriel Leone who plays uh, Dave Portago, like they look great. <laughs> yes, I cut so, you off. Yeah, <laughs> I no, I just I I very much enjoyed this movie. I liked it even more uh, than uh, Public Enemy and Black Cat. And actually, I mean, but Public Enemy kind of has that weird thing. Kind of has that like it looks like your television's on motion smoothing. Like there's yes, a, there's a little bit of weirdness about it. But uh, no, I very much like this movie. I definitely recommend it. If it's still actually playing in a theater near you, go see, see it in it. the theater. Yeah. No one is. Yeah, exactly. Nobody is. <laughs> so hopefully this message gets across. But um, yeah, so three sprawling biopics. I liked all three. You liked two out of the three. I think we both liked Ferrari the most. Um, I think that's fair to say. Uh, yeah, but people... also like Ridley Scott's one. Like Ridley Scott has a film that's like you go see it at least. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we will be back uh, pretty shortly. We have a lot of movies to catch up on. Uh, you know, we both had our our winter breaks, and um, sometimes even just seeing movies is kind of tough. They all come out at random times, and um, we have all these things with select theaters and stuff like that. So we're finally getting a chance to see a lot of the big movies from 2023. So we'll be reviewing more of those in the near future. So thank you for listening, and uh, we will be back with you next time.